This is Hypercritical, episode number seven. It's a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. And uh, the man in charge of complaining here, the head complainer, chief of complaints, is uh, John Syracuse. Hey, John. Hey, Dan. How are you today? I'm a little bit sick, but I'm ready to complain. Little, yes, and you're ready. You could even complain about being sick if you want. I could, but no one wants to hear that. <laughs> We'd like to say thanks uh, right up front to uh, to Typekit.com for making this show possible. Uh, they're uh, the easiest way to use real fonts on your website. They pioneered the use of CSS web fonts nearly two years ago, and they continue to be the leading source for designers and developers uh, to use to make their websites look really awesome you can sign up today at typekit.com and for as little as four bucks a month you'll get access to thousands of high quality fonts from the likes of adobe font font process and more simple fast and beautiful john it's the way the web should be typekit.com boom lion can you can you hear it roaring we're not ready for that yet not ready all right Uh, i thought i'd give a little teaser what's to come all right. Well, I think people can guess, but we got to do some follow-up first. Okay. So, um, I guess I, I have a trimmed selection of follow-up today, and, and it has a lot to do with connectors, uh, which will tie into our later discussion of the new MacBooks and Lion and all that good stuff. The FireWire 400 plug, we talked about it in a past episode yeah. as, a, as a connector that was nicely asymmetrical, and you couldn't put it in the wrong way. And then, as you mentioned on another show, uh, we got some feedback from people saying no. If you are sufficiently determined, you can jam that plug in the wrong way. Um, and I thought about why this might be possible. Because if you look at the plug, like you know, it's, it's rectangle on one end and sort of a triangle with a clipped-off tip on the other end. And it seems like there's no way this thing could go in the other way. But if you think about the receptacle that accepts that plug, a lot of them kind of have metal flanges like you know, surrounding it that sort of pinch the plug when you put it in. And if there's nothing supporting those metal flanges, I can imagine if you were to put it in the wrong way and just shove it in, yeah. you could bend the two metal flanges that would lay against the triangular parts and just bend them outward so that the rectangular part fits in there. And apparently doing this destroys the connector and it can also short out uh, electronics inside the machine. So it just goes to show that merely having a plug that's asymmetrical is not sufficient to defeat the most determined uh, <laughs> users of shoving in the wrong way. I still say, obviously, you want it to be asymmetrical so that the, let's say, less harried people can put it in the right way and not be confused about the way it goes. But uh, these are people who run computer labs and stuff like that, where it's the worst possible environment for hardware, and people just treat the machines terribly. And right, people walking else. in off the street, plugging in, plugging in whatever they feel like into the, uh, into the computers, yeah. Yeah, and if it doesn't fit, they just press harder. And if it was your own machine, you would think about it and say, perhaps I'm shoving in the wrong way. Let me look at the shape of the connector and the shape of the connector. Yeah. And a related thing to that, someone sent me a link to this uh, bi-directional USB plug. It's like a regular USB plug, the flat uh, rectangular one. But inside it, where where there's normally like a uh, sort of plastic block and then one half and then a hole in the other, that's the internal uh, uh, asymmetry that makes it so you can shove it in the outside fits, but the inside doesn't, um, so it has to go in one particular way. So this bi-directional USB plug, and I'll have a link in the show notes, has two plastic blocks inside the connector, and no matter which way you put it in, one of the plastic blocks slides backwards. Uh, I think this is probably uh, uh, not a great design, because anytime you put moving parts inside a connector, it's just one more thing to break. And I don't even know if this is a real connector or just a prototype or, or an idea, 
but it shows that someone else out there was thinking about this and saying, man, it's USB plugs are stupid. What can we do about it? Yeah. Um, I, I'm tempted to say that it would be interesting if that caught on, but I think it would probably be bad if that caught on because you really can't have moving things inside a connector. It's just, it know, seems like the walls, small. the walls of the connector themselves need to be not lined with a thin little piece of aluminum that's bendable. You know, it needs, it needs to, it needs to, the fewer pins that you can have, the better, you know, you think about the, the days of, uh, we've talked about SCSI drives, uh, you know, it was so easy to screw up the pins on those connectors. Well, they don't have pins now, they have contacts. Yeah, now. Pins, pins bend, you know, yeah. and especially with these serial interfaces, they have, you know, uh, four contacts or whatever, and they, they shove those things against the walls of the connector, um, and that's better than pins, but you are relying on the structural integrity of the connector itself to, uh, to maintain your connections. Um, so on, on the same issue, someone brought up the dock connector again, which I already have complained about, uh, and they mentioned that the dock connector is actually asymmetrical. And if you look really closely at the iPod dock connector, you can see it only does go in one way, and it's got a little logo on the dock connector, and you're supposed to make that logo face up. But it's asymmetrical at a very tiny scale. Unless your vision is very good, you can't even see that it's actually asymmetrical. Until right, you, you have to, to look. You have to look for the little symbol on top of it to know whether you're doing it right. Right. I mean, if you can look really closely and see the edge, or you can feel it. But it's another. It's a case where you wish the thing really was symmetrical because it's asymmetrical so slightly uh, that you you have to look at the logo. You can't actually look at the connector itself versus something like the FireWire 400 where you can look at that connector and see or feel with your fingers very easily, you know, which side is the pointy side and which side is not. Um, and last bit on connectors, uh, I was talking about how on the uh, on Apple's laptops in recent years, they've made the connectors go in size order along the side from big to small, from back to front. Yep. And a couple of people pointed out that the mini display port well, actually, in, in the show, I pointed out that when they went to MagSafe, that kind of screwed it up a little bit because Ma- the power was always at, at the far back of the machine, and the power connector used to be a big circle, but MagSafe is smaller. So now, right away, you're starting off with a smaller connector, and then it gets bigger and then smaller from there. But other people pointed out that the mini DisplayPort connector, which we'll talk about later, uh, when they changed from whatever they had DVI out or those at mini DVI or whatever the connectors used to be, they changed to mini DisplayPort. It kind of messed up the order because they left it well, at first they reordered. The very first machines that had a mini display port said, we've got a new port and it's really small, so it goes closer to the front of the machine, so we still have our nice size order. But I think it was like one or two revisions ago, they reordered the ports again, and they shoved the mini display port back a couple spots. So it was like big, smaller, smaller, super small, a little bit bigger, you know. So the overall trend was still big to small, but mini display port broke up the pattern a little bit. So maybe they are moving away from the strict size order thing and just sticking with the roughly size order and a few ports move backwards and forwards. Um, so I guess you'd have to call that progress. Um, and the other bit of follow-up I want to do is on audio quality. I got a lot of feedback from this when I was talking about how, I don't remember what show it was, but I was talking about how I don't like to buy uh, lossy compressed audio and right, I'd rather right, just right. buy CDs because they get a physical backup and, and the audio quality is better and how the sort of digital music resolution uh, revolution has made us take a step back in audio quality, whereas it looked like we were going to go from CD to super audio CD or DVD audio or something that had better audio quality. Instead, we went from CD to MP3 and other formats that have less quality than uh, than CD. Um, and a lot of the audiophiles uh, sent me information about 
where I can get higher quality uh, digital music. There's a couple of different websites where you can uh, find that. Uh, it's, obviously, they don't have everything, and a lot of it is like classical or obscure stuff. Uh, but I linked a couple of them in the show notes. One of them I, that I'd heard of before was called hdtracks.com. What kind of music do you actually listen to? Uh, not, I guess it's the typical geeks my age music. Uh, so I think there's a lot of people who are who are our age who like Bruce Springsteen and uh, and the, the the bands of that era. Like I, I like a, you know REM, U2, that type of thing. The pop bands from the uh, 80s and 90s. Not a lot of Lady Gaga. Uh, and then I also have more modern music that I listen to, which like I think a lot of geeks like Radiohead, and I'm one of those as well. And believe it or not, I, I resisted Lady Gaga for a long time because I'm just not into that type of thing or the whole shtick or whatever. But it's good music, so I, I do listen to Lady Gaga. I'm a fan. Me so, too. Me too. So what? Uh, what about Katy Perry? And she is a pale imitation of Lady Gaga. <laughs> I didn't realize she pale, was an imitation. Pale imitation. Well, it's similar. I like style Perry. Of music, dance beats, poppy kind of stuff, but trying to have an edge. And she's just not as talented. I mean, not, she's not bad. She has some songs that are okay, but what do your kids not, listen to? Do you allow them to to listen to music? They're not into music yet. I don't, okay. I don't think they listen to. You know, we, we played all the kids CDs in the car and stuff. Yeah. You know, <sighs> they they might be giants, and we try to keep it better. Philadelphia Chickens is a good one if you got kids out there. Get that one. Okay. It's some good stuff. Um, but anyway, that's it for uh, the follow up, or is there more? No, no, I got, I got to talk a little bit more about the audio quality stuff. Okay. So the other point that I meant to bring up about the audio quality was, I think I touched on it briefly, but more people uh, sent me feedback on it. Was that it's not just that we went down in quality when we went from CD to MP3. It's also when we went from vinyl to CD that there was another phenomenon going on at the same time, which is uh, known colloquially as the loudness war. Have you heard of this? Sure have, yeah. Well, you're an audio guy. You know all about this. Um, so I put two links in the show notes about this. One is the Wikipedia page on the loudness war, and the other one is a YouTube video that explains it. Uh, but it, it basically means that they, they took out the dynamic range of the music. So when they, when they mastered the music, you can choose to do whatever you want with the waveform. And what they did was they made it so the entire track is louder rather than having quiet parts and loud parts. Um, and as anyone who's ever sold stereo speakers or been in that environment knows, louder music sounds better to customers. Uh, so everyone wants their music to sound better, and to make your music sound better, you just make it louder. But by making the whole thing louder, you have a loudness threshold that you can, can't go beyond on the, on the track itself. right? So if you put your dial on 5 and you play your track, it will sound the quiet parts will sound more quiet than someone else's track, that was heavily compressed and that made, you know, the quiet parts almost as loud as the loud parts. What's interesting and, is is on this Loudness War Wikipedia page, it shows it has an animated GIF, which is a whole other show of how we should pronounce that, uh, that shows a little waveform in 1983, 87, 93, and 2000. And it's all of the same song, which is something by the Beatles. And it shows how it's been mastered over CD all the way back since the first release i guess in 83 and in 2000 the the green waveform completely fill of the track completely fills the the image that's how much louder they've made it yeah and it's not just, it's not just like when you say loudness people get confused because they're like well doesn't that just depend on the volume knob it's it's the waveform itself it's right. the difference between the quiet parts and the loud parts and if you 
eliminate that difference so that the quiet parts and loud parts are basically the same volume, you've lost a lot of the, what they call dynamic range in, in the song. The YouTube video shows an, uh, an animation of this, and, the, and they play the audio. So if you want to hear an example of this, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to hear than to see, but visually it's, it's very striking um, when you see those waveforms like that. And this really doesn't have much to do with quality except for the fact that, you know, the, uh, the, the, you know, the bit rate of the audio or whichever, I forget which statistic of the audio files that corresponds to the loudness. But uh, there is a ceiling on, on CDs that uh, supposedly didn't exist a, as much in vinyl. And uh, on that side of the coin, what they're trying to do now is get higher quality audio files. Like that HD tracks place has higher quality audio files. Uh, more bits per sample and more samples per second right. is what it boils down to. Right. And there was a story floating around last week that kind of got stomped on by the Apple news that came later about Apple supposedly in talks with, I guess, with the, the labels or whoever else to put higher quality music on their, their store. And they've done that once before. They went from 128 kilobit uh, AACs to 256. But now they're supposedly in talks to change the number of bits per sample from 16 bits per sample to 24 and perhaps increasing the sample rate from uh, whatever it is, 44 kilohertz to 96 kilohertz. These are all those rumors. You don't know really what's happening, but it's good to see that there's some motion in that front. Uh, of course, the reason for it is, you know, kind of cynical in that I, they, I think they just want to be able to charge more and to make people rebuy the same music again. They want to have that thing where it's like, hey, upgrade your whole library to the new super high quality audio files for just 30 cents for each track. You know, they love to get you to pay more money for things you already own. Um, and, but if they do do this change and if they provide lossless audio or maybe even if they don't, they may actually be offering something that's better than CD quality, um, which will be a first for a mass market uh, music sale. So I'm glad to see some motion in this area. Yeah, any kind of changes that at least acknowledge that there's something else, I think, in, are good. And I've read articles, too, that just talk about the current generation of people where if you play them an MP3, they will prefer the sound of an MP3 to what we would think of as a, as an old school, you know, vinyl recording. Yeah, they like they like the sizzle of the compression artifacts. Right, that's that's a reassuring to them, or they like, it's the same sort of way that that a vinyl person would like the the hiss and the pop of the right. needle going Isn't that through. Odd. The, it is. I mean, I think that's just you can't really go by what they want. If you give them higher quality audio without that sizzle, it's not like they'll reject it. Um, even if they, in an A-B testing, they have a preference for the other one, they'll get used to whatever they get used to. The whole reason they, re they like the sizzle is because they're used to it. So I don't think that's going to be a limiting factor where people are going to say, well, I would get this higher audio quality file, but during the drum solo section, I like that crackling sound of compression artifacts. <laughs> you can always recompress the song if you want that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's all I've got for follow-up, I think, for, for this episode, because we got a lot of we did get We did get one more person or two emailing to say they would like to hear why you don't have a smartphone why you don't have an iphone rather yeah stragglers people listening to the podcast don't realize they're listening to an episode from last week um I, I, predict, I, me I predict that we get emails about that every time somebody discovers that show so we will be getting emails about that for the next i would say couple years maybe maybe indefinitely that's all right i think It'll you be. should answer you don't ever answer these people though I usually say, listen to episode number, whatever it was. Oh, you do? I'll, you're I'll not give, seeing me? It's not, it's not enough that I can't reply. I get, you know, if someone says it on Twitter, I'll, I'll just do a quick out reply and says, you know, uh, listen to the next episode or whatever. Sometimes people apologize and say they didn't realize it was, uh, they were listening to an episode in the past, but no big deal. 
I, I mostly blame you for it because really you're the one who made the call for feedback. Mm-hmm. That's true. I did. Yeah. So now on, on to the news, right? The new, the new stuff. So yes. yesterday, Thursday, and by the way, we, we should mention, I should, I should get in the habit because this, this show does, although I think personally that this show could be listened to not just in a week or a month from now, but decades from now, and it would still be 99% relevant. I wouldn't go that far. I didn't ask if you would on, uh, but it is important though, John, to mention that, th- that today is Friday, February 25th. Yesterday uh, was the 24th. It's 2011. So in case you're listening to this in a decade, you can look back on this. Yesterday is when Apple came out with, uh, made the announcement rather. Uh, so let me make sure that that was yesterday, right? Yep, yesterday. Okay, so yesterday, February 24th. birthday. It was Steve Jobs' birthday? It was, apparently. So February 24th, 2011, Apple made this announcement of the, the new MacBook Pros. And they also announced uh, the Thunderbolt stuff. And they also uh, made available for Mac developers uh, Lion to download and revealed uh, their Lion page and, and had a whole bunch of information about that. So the developer preview became available. And there's a few things that we'd like to talk about. We wanna, obviously, we want to talk about Thunderbolt uh, in, in general. Right. And, and number two, we, we definitely want to talk about how they play into the whole MacBook Pro. Number three, we're going to talk about, uh, of, of course, Lion, but we have to limit ourselves to what we can say about Lion. And the reason is both you and I are Mac app developers uh, and uh, and because uh, or we're Apple developers. So, to, so that means we're under NDA. So we have to limit, although we know I both you and I know a lot more then we're going to be able to say we have to limit what we can say to what has been made publicly available because otherwise we're breaking our NDA talking about it. Plus, I have another reason to limit what I say and that uh, I, when the new OS developer release comes out, I tend to stop talking about it a little bit because I know I'm going to have to write a big article about yeah. it. And if I talk about every single thing that's going to be in the article, the article becomes boring. So I got to save some. Yeah, you got to save it. I mean, that's your bread and butter. Yeah, so really, it's more well, like my dessert. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. So you have to reserve some, but you know there is. We do need to talk about it, and it is very cool. But we're going to have to limit. Now, here's the question, John: Do we have to limit ourselves to what's on Apple's site, or can we? Do we just have to limit ourselves to what if somebody else broke the NDA and published something? I think once something's on the public web, we can talk about screenshots that anybody can see on a public website because okay. we're not the ones breaking that NDA. Someone else did and put those screenshots up, and we're just looking at them and we're talking about what we see them, on the web. I guess. You know? All right. I'm with you. It's nice how you got me to say that, by the way. So when the, when the Apple uh, black helicopters come, you can say, I asked him and he said it was okay. <laughs> yeah. They throw us both in different, you know, different uh, interrogation rooms. And- well, they got recorded a recorded record now. <laughs> well, they do. Oh, well, so, yeah, you are, you are culpable. Uh, so then what do we want to do first? The new MacBook Pro. So, and I have a theory, I have a the- an over, an overarching theory about Lion in general that I'll talk to you about. Uh, and, and you probably already thought of this and I'd like to hear if you think it's true, but, but back to the, the new Mac. So the new MacBook Pros come out, they've got faster CPUs, they've got new graphics cards in them. They're faster. Apple also decided to use an, the, the same metric that they were using to measure the MacBook Air's uh, battery life, they have now applied this same technique or, or measurement 
style to the MacBook Pros. So although it they now are reporting a shorter battery life than they had before, Apple's saying that the, the battery life is actually not shorter. We're just measuring it differently. Yeah, that's always voodoo anyway, yeah. battery life. Yeah. If, they, if they think this new methodology is better, then fine. But uh, uh, what, what you always go by, what I always go by is I look at the, uh, the, the power rating for the battery, how many, uh, whatever it is, uh, milliwatt hours or whatever, um, and then just look at the CPU and say, well, is this, is this CPU or screen or any other components, do they take more or less power than the previous revision, or are they about the same? And then you look at the rating for the battery, and you say, is this battery bigger or smaller than it used to be? And you can usually get a good feel for, will this have similar battery life to uh, the previous model? Um, and I think in this case, I don't think they shrunk the battery at all. So I would, I would imagine that the, uh, and I think the CPU and everything on the screen are comparable in, in terms of power draw, especially on the low-end model where they don't even have a discrete uh, GPU anymore. But that's, that's getting ahead. Let me, let me give my quick overview of the, the uh, MacBook Pros. Uh, Please. So I was a little bit, not disappointed, but I guess, you know, it was an unrealistic expectation, but I was really hoping that they would uh, wow me by introducing a new line of MacBook Pros that were designed around the lack of an optical drive. Um, because you can do lots of interesting things if you decide, I'm going to make a laptop that doesn't have an optical drive inside it. And I'm not saying you have to make it like a MacBook Air, because you would make different trade-offs here. You wouldn't say make this as thin as humanly possible. You would say take the room that used to be occupied by that optical drive or take some of it at least and use it for something else. And you can do lots of stuff with that space. You can put, uh, the biggest thing you can do is you can put more battery there yeah. or in that spot or whatever to rearrange the internals to reuse that space to give yourself a bigger battery. And who doesn't, who doesn't like that, right? You can make it a little bit smaller than it used to be, maybe a little bit thinner, uh, a little bit narrower or something. Um, and you can also, if you decided you could use that, that space to give yourself room for like another hard drive or, a regular 2.5 inch SSD for like hybrid storage or one of those non, you know, one of those sort of uh, on a card SSD things like in the airs. Yeah. You can do lots of interesting things, but apparently Apple's not ready to take that step yet. Um, and you can kind of understand people really do want opticals. There would, there would be a big hissy fit about them. Oh, I've got to buy this $79 external optical and, and the whole point of a laptop is to have an all-in-one machine and I watch DVDs in the plane and I do X, Y, and Z. So we're not there yet, I guess for getting rid of the opticals, uh, but it was just something I would have liked to see. So given that they didn't ditch the optical drive in these, and given the the Thunderbolt thing, which we'll talk about in a bit, these strike me as transitional machines. Mm. Uh, so that basically makes the last revision of the MacBooks the peak of that iteration, and that iteration being the ones with FireWire and USB, unibody, uh, and uh, with with discrete GPUs. And in truth, they were getting a little bit long in the tooth. Like they had the Core 2 Duo and the, the low-end model, and that's an ancient CPU. Um, but if you want to look at like the generations of these things, that was sort of the end of the line for the MacBook as we know it that had been survived for three or four revisions. And now they're starting on a new generation of, of, uh, of MacBooks. And this one is kind of the, the awkward one where they haven't really gone all in on it. They've got the new architecture inside there where they've got the integrated uh, graphics controller on the low-end model. So no more discrete GPU because Intel's internal uh, Intel's on die GPU is finally non sucky. Like it's not great, but it's about as good as the old uh, separate GPU. And so you got a lower po- power there. You've got a more modern CPU. So there's a whole new architecture inside for that. And they've got this Thunderbolt port on there, right? That 
supposedly someday might replace all sorts of other ports, but all the other ports are still there. So you haven't ditched the optical, and you've added this awesome new interconnect, but you haven't ditched all the other ports. So this is clearly like the weird transitional machine between the old MacBook Pros that we knew and the new MacBook Pros that are going to have maybe just a couple of Thunderbolt ports, no more optical drive, thinner or lighter, more like chunkier MacBook Air. Right, 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 right. Um, and it is interesting that they didn't. I'm glad that they didn't stick with the uh, Ondai GPU for the high end models because they still have discrete GPUs. And they actually have pretty impressive discrete GPUs, like on the highest of high end 15 inch and 17 inches. They got a gigabyte of dedicated VRAM. That's more than my Mac Pro has yeah. on, its, on its card. So that's kind of depressing. <laughs> uh, although it is kind of said that, you know, when you've got the integrated Ondai GPU, it eats part of your system memory because it doesn't use dedicated VRAM. Um, it's not a speed issue. It's just that you're out basically 384 megabytes of system memory because the GPU wants to use that. I'm sure it doesn't use all of it all the time or maybe it does pre-allocate it. But either way, it's kind of rude that the, the GPU is eating some of your system memory. I mean, but you can imagine but the lower, having... even the lower end machines are starting out with, you're, you're starting out with a lot more system memory in these particular models than ever before. Isn't that right? Uh, I th- what are they standard four and the maximum eight I th- now? I, th- I think so. I'm actually looking right now. If I they have to go to like the buy now link to see. Okay, so the lowest the lowest end one has four gigs of RAM. Right. And I mean, then, that, in fact, they all have four gigs standard. That's reasonable, but the fact that they max out at eight. Can you confirm that? I heard I heard they maxed out at eight. I'm gonna point. I'm gonna try this right now, and I'll tell you what I'll tell you what they do. If there's an and I'm also gonna check and see if there's different differences in the models. But if I'm if I go to the site right now, yeah, that's it. I have two options. I can either do four gigs or eight gigs, and it's yeah, two hundred bucks more to go to eight. Chat room says max is eight, and yeah. it's getting at the point now where the the power users really want more, especially since they, these machines have four real cores, and with hyperthreading, it shows as eight virtual cores. They have they have a pretty darn good GPU with a gigabyte of dedicated VRAM. You'd want to do you can do. Lots of stuff on this thing, but with eight gigs of RAM, you have to forget about doing stuff like, oh, I want to have three virtual machines running. Yeah, CPU, or CPU, you can handle it, but you just don't have enough RAM for that. You know, I want to run all my Mac apps plus some VMs, and oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm out of RAM. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, even a lot of people who are doing video editing work or Final Cut Pro stuff, or even audio editing and uh, and you know Photoshop work, those all take so much so much RAM that I know a lot of people who you know eight eight is the entry point for them. Yeah, and you say, well, it's a portable. It's not well. These are supposed to be desktop replacement machines these days, and and that gets to my over my overarching theory. But we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, and and it's not just the desktop replacement. It's just that they they just have tremendous power. Like they they are going to be faster in some things than Mac Pros from not too many years ago. Uh, you know, so this especially if you've got them plugged into a desk and you've got an external mon- monitor attached and everything. The RAM is the thing that's limiting you, and it's it's a shame because you're like I'm not I'm not limited because I had to get a low power GPU, and I'm not limited because you know it's a portable or there's heat concerns or anything like that. I'm limited by they just couldn't stick any more RAM in this thing. That's another thing you can make room for if you ditch the optical drive, put in another right. slot for RAM. Yeah. Um. So I think that's pretty much all I have to say on the MacBook Pros beyond the Thunderbolt port. You want to do your uh, your theory now, which I, I think I probably have an inkling of what it is. All right. Well, you you say what it is then. I'm thinking that you you are under the impression, as everyone else is, by looking at the sales charts, that Apple is becoming more and more a laptop company that incidentally sells a few desktops on the side. Absolutely. And that they are basically trying to feel the line of laptops that cover all possible bases and the outliers that have to go desktop, uh, 
they're trying to get they're they're smaller and smaller. Well, and everything everything that we know about Lion uh, is absolutely confirms that, and I'll and I'll I'll tell you why. Uh, just just looking at the way that. Uh, and again, this this is all stuff. None of, I I do have Lion running on an iMac right here, uh, but that's not what I'm talking about, and that's not what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about what you can actually see by going to Apple's uh, Apple's Lion page, which you can find at apple.com/slash/macOS. Uh, and of course, I know that it's macOS 10, but it's macOS X, of course, slash Lion, and. Uh, if you go to this page, there's not only screenshots there, but there's also videos there. And the video that that you can look at that really explains my, that really kind of exemplifies my theory is under the gestures and animation section. There's a little video there that says get animated. And if you watch that video, you see the, the uh, perfect human hand that reaches from from out there. And you see it using... Uh, you see it using gestures and working through, you know, using mission control and using full screen apps and Launchpad and for all of these things. I mean, first of all, looking at looking at the full screen apps, for example, and this is a great feature. Uh, you know, there's people who who will say, "Well, I don't like full screen apps," but there are a lot of times where a full screen app really does make sense. Browsing, uh, email. Where you're, where you are kind of unitasking, a full screen app can be really, really nice to have. You might not want a full screen app for Photoshop, for example. You might not want it for chat, but certainly navigating between full screen apps or using full screen apps effectively relies upon having an easy way to to work with the different windows or go back and forth between them. And Command Tab isn't it. Uh, well, gestures. Actually, if, if you don't mind doing gestures, and we should talk about whether you like doing gestures with RSI, um, but if you like doing gestures and you find them easy to remember, guess what? It, it makes it very easy to do that. The launch, the launch pad works really, really nicely uh, with gestures and all of all of the stuff that they demo here, gestures and, and, and you know, all, all of the navigation things that you can do with 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 the swiping and everything it really really works well but here's here's two things i was just talking to sarah parmenter on this morning's daily edition and and she's a designer a very talented designer and she was saying well i have a 27 inch uh screen here and she said you know the whole reason that i bought the 27 inch screen is because i very often have multiple windows side by side i don't want to switch between them i might be developing a web page in one brand a browser window and have photoshop over here and have an editor over here and she's got them all on the same screen so she doesn't want to switch back and forth between full screen apps in that situation and so she bought a big screen but everything about the way that the launchpad works everything about the way that a lot of the things work in lion they they imagine not only that you have a smaller size screen because who wants to have Safari full screened on twenty seven inch I and mean, that's crazy, uh, but they also to work correctly you really want to have uh, a trackpad you don't want a mouse you, you you know even yes okay the magic mouse can do some scrolling but the trackpad is where it's at for all these gestures. So it really, it's like Lion is designed with a laptop user in mind. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. Uh, but at the same time, 
a lot of what's being touted as the great features, the cool new stuff, is stuff that's only really going to make sense for a certain kind of machine. What, what do you think of that? I think that's reasonable. Uh, if you imagine from Apple's perspective, they can say, look, we're selling tons of laptops, but laptops are a compromised machine. You know, they're smaller. You don't have a mouse, which uh, despite people's love for trackpads is a faster and more accurate input device. They don't have multiple buttons like they do on the mouse, you know, or multiple virtual buttons, uh, even though they can try to kind of say press the upper right corner of the trackpad to right click and stuff like that. It's it's a, a more constrained situation. They say, look, what can we do to our OS to make these machines that apparently everybody loves to buy to make these a better experience? So it seems like they're actually filling a gap. They're saying... People just want to buy laptops. Laptops are not as good as desktops in these ways. How can we make our OS, uh, change our OS in a way that makes laptop users more efficient? So I think that's that's admirable and it makes sense from the business's perspective. I don't, well, we'll talk about that when we get to Lion, but whether whether by doing that they're compromising the experience for desktop users in the process. Um, but, you know, it's it's a logical consequence of them selling mostly laptops, I think. There's also a little bit of iOS envy in there, but I don't want to got to tell the line stuff yet i want to do thunderbolt first okay and that that's fine we can talk about that one one other thing people are, are pointing out uh that oh well there's the magic trackpad and that's true uh and i have one uh so yeah you could you could use that they're not completely closing those people off and saying they you can't use it but if you if you were to to I, Apple would never reveal this, but if you were to find out how many Magic Trackpads were sold and not returned, or how many were sold and are actually in use, yeah, very small numbers. And it's because a mouse is more efficient than a trackpad. It doesn't mean that people like to use a mouse more. But if you did some sort of contest where you had a bunch of squares on the screen and people had to click them as fast as they can based on which one turned yellow or something, mousers would destroy trackpad. Oh yeah, and in, in any experience, you know what I mean. I so, have one and I like it, but I only use it in in certain situations i only have right so i feel like even the efficiency concern is there especially for like pro users uh you know going to the other extreme of saying like at a certain point you have to abandon the mouse like final cut pro users who have those colored keyboards where they just do everything through the keyboard because anytime they have to even reach for the mouse it it cuts down their efficiency so exactly there's a a long scale of people who want efficiency and offering a trackpad is a nice way of saying hey desktop guys so you don't feel left out you can do some of these gestures too but really, I think all of these features with the gestures and the full screen and everything are tailored to m- try to make the laptop piece of people potentially as efficient as the desktop people. Right. To try to close that gap. Um, and they, they go back in the other direction just because people don't always want what's most efficient. They want what they enjoy the most. And some people enjoy yeah. trackpads. So, you know. yeah. so Thunderbolt. Yeah. So first question I have for you, Thunderbolt, it, and, until this came out, it was called Lightpeak. But right. that was the that was the code name for it. But since Apple is really the first machine coming out with these ports, you get the impression that Apple named it Thunderbolt. Well, so that's that's the odd thing about this. I, I mentioned I think it was like two shows ago we talked about Light Peak. Yeah, and you know it's it, for years and years Light Peak has been the the thing that's going to replace USB and stuff like that. And Apple pretty much sat out the USB three thing because you can get PCs with USB three. Yeah, but Apple was not adding it to its computers much to the chagrin of people who wanted a faster connection that's not firewire especially when they had that brief period where they ditched firewire look if you're gonna, if you're gonna ditch firewire give us something give us something that's fast because the usb 2 stinks yeah my my macbook which is the original unibody macbook not macbook pro uh but just regular macbook which i inherited from my wife when she upgraded 
it does not have FireWire. And, you know, you think, oh, you know, you can do without it. But I'll tell you, there have been so many times when I've said, oh, man, this thing doesn't have FireWire. Even at 400, give me something. Yeah, I mean, the target disk mode, stuff, the stuff that you do with laptops with FireWire, even if you just need it once every two years, that one time you need it, you're pissed off when it's not there. Very frustrating. So, so there was definitely something coming, but LightPeak always had this sort of odor about it in that, you know, based on the name, LightPeak, it was going to be an optical technology. They're going to shine light through fiber optic cables, blinking on and off really, really fast, which is great and very fast. But who has optical cables anywhere in their house connected to anything? Uh, it's not a technology that has widespread acceptance. So, so there were so many questions like, well, can you, can you make controller chips for optical connection cheaply? Uh, on a mass scale, uh, what what are the engineering issues involved there? Well, how is durability? What about cables? Can they, you know, uh, break or snap or uh, in cold weather or something? Or what's you you don't know you don't know anything about it. It's an unknown. So from a consumer's perspective, it was always like Light Peak. Well, it sounds really cool, but I'm nervous about anything that I don't have experience with. <laughs> same thing. Same thing from the the uh, the engineering perspective, where they're going to say so. We currently make 8 bazillion USB cables. We're going to change to make optical cables now and optical controller chips. I don't know. Um, and so that was always keeping it in, in the distant future. But it, by not using USB 3, the reason I kept bringing it up, I'm like, well, they got to do something. Uh, there are faster FireWire variants. There's FireWire 1600 and 3200 right. standards. But it was, it's pretty clear. It's been pretty clear for years that the FireWire thing just didn't catch on industry-wide. Right. Even the video guys started changing to USB 2 for the consumer handheld video cameras and stuff. Which is a shame because FireWire is a really nice, bu- really nice bus and everything, uh, but it, you know it's just not happening. So they had to do something, and you had to think, well, maybe it's going to be Light Peak, and that's right up Apple's alley of like it'll be the first one to use this cool optical thing. But as it turns out, what they decided to do was launch it perhaps sooner than most people expected, but not go with optical, go with the copper. Like, yeah, the electronic version. Right, and it's still the same bus, the same protocol. It's just the physical layer that that's uh, that's different, and you know, you it could go optical in the future. And my um, understanding is that the big advantage of optical over copper is the better range. It's also faster than, and I mean, faster light, too. Light, light travels through uh, sure. light travels through the optical media faster than electrons travel through the okay. copper. So, do you, um, do you think down the road then that we'll see Apple starting to make a move in that direction, or do you think that they've made a commitment to to copper? I don't think they're in the driver's seat for that. And I think that the only way they'll move away from copper is if they hit the limit of it. Right. Um, and have you seen what they've done with with Ethernet from, you know, and 100 you can also do, gigabit, you can do, 10 gig Ethernet. They just keep pressing. And you can also run power over the copper. And I don't think you can do that over optical. Yeah. Well, yeah, they would just they would just run copper alongside it for power or something okay. like that. Um, so I, I expect not to see optical anytime soon, especially since they have just tons of overhead left in the copper, it seems like, with this with this protocol. I and I think 10 gig Ethernet has an optical option for interconnect. I forget what that is. But all, all these standards are like, well, we're going to stick with copper until we absolutely have to because it's just an unknown industry-wide about consumer mass market optical stuff. Obviously, in the data center and everything, you've got fiber channel and these long-standing uh, standards that work. But in, in the consumer realm, people just aren't buying optical cables and plugging them into anything except for their, uh, I guess, their stereo equipment for that one uh, digital audio cable. But those mm-hmm. demands are much, much less than sending you know, hundreds of gigabits per second over uh, cables and, and a big uh, cluster of stuff. Um, so the other thing that struck me about Thunderbolt, which was the, the, the new name for it, which kind of makes sense because you don't want to call something Light Peak if there's no light. You know, that's just kind of rubbing it in. Well, it was going to be optical, but we couldn't do it, so Light Peak, but whatever. Um, I thought uh, on, when the rumors came out that Thunderbolt was like Firewire uh, in that 
Firewire it was Apple's trademark name for this IEEE standard, IEEE 1394 or something like that. Um, that was the lovely, non-interesting name of the standard. But Apple trademarked uh, Firewire for its use. Um, and I believe Sony trademarked iLink. A couple of people had different names for what was essentially the same standard, but they wanted a brand that they owned. So when I saw Thunderbolt, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's, that must be Apple's trademark for this thing. They're doing exactly what they did with Firewire. They want their own name. And it kind of bothers me when they have their own name because people would think, oh, Firewire isn't the same as iLink, isn't the same as my TV has a IEEE 1394 port. You know, it's all the same thing, but they don't realize it's individual companies branding it. But uh, when the initial official press releases came out, you look and you see that Thunderbolt is Intel's trademark, not Apple's. Mm. So, so I don't know who named it, but this is not a FireWire situation. It's not a situation where Apple has their own name for this thing and we're going to have to deal with this. Oh, well, you know, you Apple people with your Thunderbolt ports. You know, we in the PC world have something, whatever. It's going to be Thunderbolt everywhere, apparently. Uh, so I'm, I was happy to see that because it, it's a good decision by Apple. I don't know who came up with the name, but it's better to have a standard name across the industry than to have Apple's special name. Because what advantage does Apple really have from getting their own name? It didn't work out that well with Firewire, so let's try a different tactic this time. Um, and the connector. The connector is the other thing. Yeah. Um, when I, whenever I did research on Lightpeak, this sort of brought up the whole how I hate USB connectors thing. <laughs> Is that I would say like so this light peak is going to be the future like years and years ago so light peak is going to be the future I, I got to look up to see what they're doing with these connectors are they going to screw it up again and every time I looked up a light peak connector all I saw was a USB connector with like little optical cables poking out of the inside of it and I said no not again <laughs> like this is this new standard this is a generational leap from what we had before and you're going to use a USB connector um, and up to the day before the announcement up to the day before like the the actually that rumor broke um, if you Googled for like light peak connector or light peak demo, light peak prototype. You saw just USB, and they never said like this is the connector. But right. whenever they had demos at trade shows, they used USB looking connectors. Um, so the the when the rumor came out and you showed a picture, it was it was the mini display port thing with a little lightning bolt next to it. Uh, and the mini display port for people who don't know, it looks kind of like a square yeah. with like little uh, trapezoid on top of it. Yeah, shaved off corners of a square. It's it's a uh, externally asymmetrical. Yeah, Very it's small. really, really, really is. I mean, as far as ports go, it's. We'll get emails, but it really is almost impossible to put in the wrong way. Well, yeah. Well, so here's the thing about that: it's it's asymmetrical, but barely. Like they, sh- it's so small that yes, they shaved off the corners of the rectangle, so you can o- so it can only go in one way, but it's just barely, just a little bit of the corner off. Okay, but here's what Apple does with with all of the ports on all of their all of their modern hardware, and I'll tell you why why I noticed this. Uh, I was organizing this the studio here, moving things around, and I was moving the shelf that the G4 Cube was on, which still is uh, one of the coolest. Co- whether it was practical or not is it, probably not, but it, one of the coolest Macs that Apple ever made. And I had moved it, and I had set it down, and I noticed the underside of it. When you look at it, right now, if you if 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 you, if you've got a Mac especially if it's a portable, look at the side and you'll see where the ports are. And the ports are actually recessed into the machine about uh, maybe about an eighth of an inch there. So you're dealing with a solid aluminum piece of metal that is guiding the insertion of your mini display port and all the ports. You're stealing my thunder here, man. I made that whole point about bending the connectors at the beginning. This yeah. is going to be the payoff. All right, no, you do it. Jumped right in, man. No, you do it. I was going. Well, yeah, uh, it, 
This goes to show that uh, great, it's, it's great a pretty minds think alike. Conclusion. Yeah. Uh, but but if you look at the bottom of this G4 cube, it looks just like one of the crappy PCs that you buy. It has uh, it has all the little uh, aluminum casings just bent out in little flint. I mean, it looks terrible. I have to take I'll have to take a picture of it and post it uh, into the show notes or something. But it I mean it looks it by today's standards, Apple's t- standards today, it looks like a piece of junk under there. And uh, the, these ports that they have on the side are – so even though it's just shaved, you're saying continue. Yeah, well, what I was going to say is that even though it is just barely asymmetrical and if you look at it quickly, you might think it's just rectangular, all of the, the laptops at least have that aluminum shell that is very hard and very precisely machined, especially in the unibody thing where they're you know cut with those high-speed cutting tools or lasers or whatever right. it is. Yeah. The tolerances are really, really tight. So even though this connector, you know, is just barely uh, has the corners cut off, it's very clear that you, it just won't go in the other way. Uh, now, I suppose if you were a determined ape <laughs> trying to smash this thing in there, what, would, what you could possibly do is deform the plug itself to conform to the aluminum. Because I really don't think you're going to have any success bending or deforming the aluminum the, the precision cut aluminum around that shape. So maybe if you manhandle it enough to deform the plug so that it started to become rounded and it could go in backwards, maybe you could get it in backwards. People can write in and tell me if they successfully plugged in a mini display port backwards. But that, that aluminum shell on Apple's machines really goes a long way towards helping the connectors not be put in backwards because it's just yeah. a hard, a hard uh, thunk where you just try to put it in there and it says, nope, not going this way. You've got it wrong. Turn it around. And they have the logos and everything up and down. So maybe it's not... This is what happens when connectors get smaller. You still want it to be asymmetrical, but as the connector gets smaller, how you know the the asymmetry becomes you know just a few millimeters here and there shaved off one edge. Um, and Apple's quality design really goes a long way towards helping make that better. And even even on the it's getting to be the same way on the Mac Pros and the iMacs too, because they all have that aluminum shell. And uh, the, I think the Mac Pros still have plastic grommets around it, which makes it a little bit looser. But I think the iMacs are also sort of a high speed machine cut or laser cut openings uh, right. for the plugs that just uh, barely fit them in there. Um, so Apple's definitely got a leg up there. So using the mini display port as the connector is good from a connector perspective, I guess. Uh, it's small, but it's good that it's future-proof because these laptops are just going to get thinner, right? And you wouldn't want this big honking connector being the limiting factor in uh, how big your laptop is. Although it kind of makes it so now like the RJ45 for the Ethernet is the limiting, <laughs> is the limiting factor. If you really want to have Ethernet... I guess you can't make your laptop any you know thinner than an Ethernet port. Maybe they'll have to come up with like a mini Ethernet or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's the interesting f- thing about uh, Thunderbolt is that, well, first of all, there already was a mini display port there. And people still want to use their mini display port. And so now you're saying this is a Thunderbolt port? What does, what does this mean? Can I not plug in my monitor? No, you can still plug in your monitor to work like a, a display port. What they've done with Thunderbolt is they have display port protocol running alongside uh, essentially an extension of PCI Express which is a high speed bus that was formerly just confined to inside the machine for exactly. video cards and stuff like that and that's a big deal right and it's it's going alongside the the display port protocol and that's sort of the nature of this of the thunderbolt system is that it's a virtual extension of two different buses um, so from the perspective of any device that has a thunderbolt controller in it when it gets a signal over over the Thunderbolt, uh, you know, uh, cable, it's decoded by the Thunderbolt controller, and then the device thinks it's just plugged into whatever the protocol is. So if you tunnel, you know, USB over it, the device after it gets past the Thunderbolt controller in the device, 
the rest of the device thinks it's just connected to USB directly. And the same thing if you had a display that, that had a Thunderbolt controller in it, uh, the, it would you know, decode the DisplayPort uh, protocol, and then the, the rest of the monitor would think, oh, I'm connected directly to DisplayPort. And same thing for many different protocols. Um, tunneling different protocols over this one bus is, is the, the big feature. And that's why I think, well, you know, at a certain point, if that RJ45 becomes a limiting factor in the thickness of your laptops, how about we ditch it and just have four yeah. Thunderports? Uh, uh, Thunderports, yes. <laughs> Thunderbolt ports on the side. Um, and then you just have a series of dongles and adapters and annoying stuff like that. But in theory, you could tunnel these different protocols over uh, this one bus as long as every device connected to it has a Thunderbolt uh, decoder thing uh, inside it. And that's, that's the problem with where we are now in this, the dawning age of Thunderbolt and that the mini DisplayPort monitors that Apple sells don't have Thunderbolt controllers in them. Like Thunderbolt wasn't even released when they were made, right? They just want to speak mini DisplayPort. So you can plug that into the mini DisplayPort and it will get the DisplayPort uh, protocol right over it. No okay. decoding is just running alongside. And if you have a chain of Thunderbolt uh, devices, w- theoretical Thunderbolt devices, because I don't know if anything's even been announced yet. But if you had a daisy chain of them, if you put the monitor as the last item in the in the chain, then the display port that's been running alongside all the other data on this bus previously will go directly into the monitor, and the monitor will read it and, and do what it does. Now, you can't. it has to be the end of the chain, because all, it's, all the monitor is going to be reading is the display port signal. It doesn't know anything about, you know, the PCI Express stuff that's coming over there. It's just ignoring it entirely. And it certainly can't pass it on to any other Thunderbolt devices. So that's why it has to be in the, in the end of the chain. Um, so it's going to be a long time before we start getting devices with these controllers in them. Intel, in its usual way, I'm sure is going to try to make these controllers as cheap as possible and give them out like candy to everybody so they can <laughs> put them in all their devices. And you'll get hubs and switches. And, and Thunderbolt apparently is able to be in lots of different topologies, not just a chain, but star patterns and all sorts of other uh, arrangements. So I don't know what, if they're going to be called hubs or switches. I think they'd be called switches because apparently it's a switched fabric and not really a bus. Um, but right now, let's say there were, and here's, here's what other people in, in the chat room at first were kind of asking about. And there's a, I don't know if you linked it up, but there's a really great article on macworld.com that answers a lot of these questions. Um, yeah, it's linked in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Uh, so right now these adapters don't exist, but when they come out, you will be able to plug in any USB device or FireWire device into a Thunderbolt uh, a port with one of these adapters. Yeah, and in most cases, it's not you're not getting the full promise of the bus because say you get one of these adapters and you plug in a USB thing. Well, great. Now you've turned your Thunderhole, as I was calling it earlier. Now you've turned your one <laughs> Thunderhole into, into another USB port. So instead of your machine having two USB ports, now it has three. But you can't then daisy chain another, <laughs> another Thunderbolt device on that because your USB device just thinks it's speaking USB. It's not going to pass on. No, the rest it's of the not. You're basically, it's you're, you're essentially, you're terminating it as a USB port. But, but you could. You could, take, you could take a mouse and put it on that adapter if you wanted. Yeah, what you'd really need, though, would be some kind of, if you wanted to really maximize this. So how is there a limit of the number of devices that you can have in I a chain? Something like six or some scuzzy-ish number is the limit. There's also a length limit. It's, it's just like any other chaining protocol. You've got a maximum cable length limit for a copper, and you've also got a maximum number of devices, but I think it's six or seven. Maybe so it's you, seven, including the host or something. Okay, so if you went out there and you bought a legitimate Thunderbolt device, the Thunderbolt drive, let's say, 
uh, you, you plug that in. Then you get another Thunderbolt drive, you plug that in. All of these are daisy chaining, so that means that each one of these devices is probably going to need to have two ports on it, one as the pass-through and one as yep. the which, – which a USB device typically does not have, but FireWire devices frequently do have. I have a few drives that have two ports for, for this reason, and right, you can daisy chain. FireWire is more like this kind of bus. It's right. not like USB where it's master-slave. FireWire has independent devices, and that's why they can pass on the information. And uh, like FireWire, Thunder, Thunderbolt is – full speed pass through so if you have some device that's in the middle of the chain and it's not doing anything it's not slowing down any other devices which is unlike usb where if you put uh, you know a slow, low speed usb device on the same you know uh connector as a, a high speed device in the same chain of uh, wires it will slow stuff down right so um, even if the device itself doesn't have the ability you know let's say you put a hard drive on there and the hard drive can only do you know it's it's a sata 3 device that that's actually slower than the speed that Thunderbolt could could handle, but that that is not going to slow down right. other devices on that chain. And and realistically speaking, there are very few hard consumer hard drives that can even max out like a a, a wimpy FireWire port or FireWire eight hundred port. You need like a RAID or some other or an SSD or something to do that. So, and this is you know ten times faster than that or whatever it is. Right, right. right. So it's not it's not going to be. The devices are not going to limit you, and it's great that the low speed of the devices will just—it just leaves more overhead for everyone else to uh, to send their data. Um, but but the reason these machines are transitional is they've just got one thunder hole on there. So if you've got this port and you're like, well, I got to hook up my monitor, and that's it, you're out of you're out of luck. No more, sorry, no more, no more. You know this great thunderbolt thing you thought was great. Well, you just plug your monitor into it. And the reason there's only one of them is like, well, we can't put seven thunderbolt ports on this machine when there are zero thunderbolt devices to plug into it. It would just look like a whole bunch of mini display ports. It wouldn't make any sense. You can't even connect multiple monitors to it because, well, if your monitors don't have Thunderbolt controllers in them, you, you can't, you know, you can't put two monitors on there. Right. So if, if today, if you one. bought one of these new Mac MacBook Pros and you you plugged in your Display Port, you know, that that your Apple Display into it, there is no Thunderbolt happening. It's just a mini Display Port. So in order for you to actually use one of your existing monitors with alongside of another Thunderbolt device, you would have to then plug it into the other Thunderbolt device or get some kind of switch first. Yeah, some kind of switch or hub. Well, interesting to see what kind of products we have there. But but yeah, it's it's chicken egg, you know. So that's why they, that's why this is a transitional machine. And it's kind of the brilliance of making it part of the mini display port. Because if you don't care about Thunderbolt, fine, pretend that little lightning bolt icon isn't there. It's exactly the same as the previous architecture in terms of the ports that you have available to you. They didn't remove any of your ports. You still got mini display port. Pretend Thunderbolt doesn't exist. And just wait another generation or two years or whatever until there's lots of Thunderbolt hubs and switches and devices and stuff like that. Yeah. So this is, going to, I think, going to be a smooth transition, but it's also going to be a, a little bit of a slow one in that even if there are hundreds of devices available, the most Thunderbolt ports anyone has on any Apple machine right now is one. And it's one port that already has contention for people who use external monitors. So to to, to just kind of cap this off a little bit, we're, we're, I predict anywhere that, that a machine already has a mini display port, it's a given that that's going to be a Thunderbolt port. So that doesn't that, that means all, all the desktop machines as well. And it, it, I think the Macworld article made it pretty clear why it was incredibly unlikely, if, if darn near impossible, that we should ever expect, well, not ever, but anytime in the near term to see a Thunderbolt port on anything but Macs. In other words, not on iPads, not on iPhones. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility on iPads. I think it's too big for an iPhone right now. Do you think we'll see it on the iPad 2 being announced next week? 
I don't, I don't think so. I'd put it at a really low probability, but there's no reason you couldn't like people have been asking for some sort of port on the iPad. You know, put, put a USB on there. There's plenty of room on the case for a USB port to go. There's plenty of room inside that thing for you to find the little place for these circuits and everything. It's just a matter of, well, you know, is that something that Apple wants to do? Someday when Apple has transitioned most of its hardware line to mostly Thunderbolt ports, I think there's a possibility you could see one on an iPad. Not as a replacement for the dock connector, just because, but just to sort of round out the family of, hey, Thunderbolt, it's on everything, and plug them all in. Plus, Thunderbolt does carry power, mm-hmm. uh, like FireWire. It actually carries a little bit more power than FireWire. Um, not that I think you would want to charge your iPad over it, but... Uh, what we should, possible. what we will see, though, are dock connectors that terminate as a Thunderbolt port, I predict, pretty soon. Maybe. I, I don't know how fast Apple wants to take this transition. This is a very cautious first step, um, and... With all these type of things, you really want it to go well. And you I don't think, think they'll sell an a, 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 like for ten bucks, you, fifteen bucks? You couldn't buy one. Oh, it would have to be thirty bucks, and then you can't come out of that Apple store without spending <laughs> at least thirty dollars. Even if you're buying a piece of clear plastic. So, <laughs> yeah, you're so, right. Yeah. The socks cost thirty bucks. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, anyone could do it. Like you know, a Belkin could make one that does that or something. I, I think you know, if you can, you just make it look like USB, right? I, I'm not sure that. Uh, if you bought one of those from Belkin and it wasn't officially licensed from Apple, that it would continue to work with the next line of uh, of iPods. But I think the the dock connector replacement is still up in the air. Maybe someday it could be a Thunderbolt port with a smaller connector. But right now, even though the mini display port is small, I think it's pushing the limit of like I don't think you could put that on the current uh, iPod Touch. It would just be too big. Never mind that it wouldn't carry all the other things that the 30 pin connector carries with all the different you know analog video and audio and higher power and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Anything so, more to say about this Thunderbolt? Thunderbolt? Uh, I had some links in the show notes about security concerns, about the, the fact that like FireWire devices have full access to the machine's memory. This is not really something new, but you'll see some stories about it. But I think we have to move on to Lion at this point. Yeah, I think we do. So I'll leave the link in the show notes. People can read it if they want. But my, my brief summary is that uh, I don't think it's a big deal uh, but it is something Apple should think about. Okay. For the future. All right, Lion. Yeah, let's spend a few minutes on Lion. can only yeah, talk so, about certain things. We already had that disclaimer. Yeah, so what I did was I just pulled the stuff out of Apple's press release because that's a good starting point. Because prior to this development release, this is the first time developers have been able to download and install Lion. Anyone outside Apple, as far as I know, maybe Adobe and Microsoft did earlier versions, but probably not. Right. Um, Apple did a preview back in October of last year or something, I think, where they had a guy up there on stage and he would say, look at these features. This is what we've added. Full screen apps isn't at night, gestures to change stuff around. And he was showing the Mac App Store and isn't this cool and we're going to release this for, for Snow Leopard and then a couple other things. And you really had to read the tea leaves on that demo. You really had to like, you know, frame advance through the video to see, wait, wait a second, what's, what's going on? Yeah. Thought, the dots underneath the running application is not there anymore. Is that is that just because of this build, or is that something they're trying to do? And what's up with those scroll bars? Like you just had to look at it and and, and try to figure out what they were saying. Same thing with spaces. We talked about that in a few different shows. They, they keep mentioning spaces and how mission control is combining all these things, including spaces, but they never demoed spaces. So are spaces even there? And and then we had another show where someone pointed out that you know oh well it's on Apple's website. Like if you go to their Lion website, it says you know mission control combines spaces and blah blah blah. And then. When the, yesterday, when they did the revision of the website in this release, then spaces got removed from the Lion page. I'm like, oh, well, now it doesn't even mention space. <laughs> right. space is there, space is not there. But then someone found another web page and said, so it's really tea leaf reading. <laughs> but the, the upshot of all of this was that 
you really didn't know what Lion was going to be. Is this going to be like Snow Leopard, where you get one or two little features and some Mac App Store stuff that we've already seen and some stuff for laptop users, but it, it's like a dinky release? And then all of a sudden comes this press release, and it's like, here's the stuff we're adding in, in Lion. And it's tons of like crazy internal stuff and big you know, end-user features and stuff like that. Definitely more than I thought. So I, let me just quickly rattle off the things they listed here. First, they listed a new version of Mail that looks more like the iPad version. I don't right. know why that was number one, but whatever. AirDrop, a remarkable way to a remarkably simple way to copy files wireless from one Mac to another with no setup. And you're like, is this some sort of Dropbox competitor? I can tell you that some people said they have not had this problem, but I have a room with a couple of Macs in it here, and I'm constantly annoyed by how difficult and annoying it is to take a file from one Mac and send it to the other Mac that's five feet away. Yeah, it's like five <laughs> steps to do it. You're going to do AFP and mount the thing, and it takes a million years to show up, and then it's slow to list the thing, and you got to drag the file over it. It almost makes you just want to have lock, Dropbox on both machines and do everything with Dropbox. Because Dropbox <laughs> will do land syncing. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, AirDrop. Apple is maybe recognizing this need, you know, but I don't really know what AirDrop is. It's just this thing. But that's that's a significant feature because people have been asking for... No, you just drag better. it to, to the person's name. It, it'll show their picture. Yeah, I saw that. And this is actually something I can talk about because I literally did not try this online yet. I forgot all about it while I was using it last night. So I have I know nothing about AirDrop other than what I've seen on on the websites. But yeah, it looks like... It all comes down to performance and reliability. People love Dropbox because you just shove stuff into it and it syncs. Period. Mm-hmm. Done. No weird errors. No right. lags. No spinning beach balls. Nothing like that. If AirDrop can do that, thumbs up. But that's a, that's a significant feature. Versions, which automatically saves successive versions of your document. Anyone who knows anything about version control or software development is excited by this mm-hmm. because this is a significant feature. You're going to make this an OS-level feature where applications can have multiple versions of their files and present a UI to the user in a way that they understand. Uh, you know, Developers know the values of version control, but regular users don't. And in that typical Apple way, you're like, oh, they're going to they're make this easy for regular people, uh, just like they did with Time Machine, where they had uh, you know, backups that geeks knew how to do, but they wanted to make backups so that regular people could do it. So versions, that's a significant feature, which you know, you'd heard nothing about before yesterday resume which conveniently brings your apps back to exactly how you left them well that's kind of been in the air because that's how ios apps look you know ios apps work all the time where the guideline is when someone hits that home button if they relaunch your app bring it back to like like it was before um so they shouldn't know whether your application was quit or or whether it was just put into the background and brought back forward right and now they're trying to bring it to the mac which i love because i love mac applications that save state that i think my and maybe my second blog post ever on ours when I started my ours blog uh, many years ago, um, which was after I had been writing there for a while. But the first blog post was about how I love applications that save state, specifically web browsers. Where when you quit the web browser and bring it back, all your pages that you previously had open are there. You know, the scroll positions are, are, are the same. This is what I wanted. I wanted everything to be the same, just how I left it. You know, down to like what I partially entered into a form or anything like that. Um, now you have to you have to point out uh, it's only apps that are updated for Lion that will have. Oh, yeah. the ability I'm just talking about to in general state. in the future, like why yeah. this is why this is a convenient feature. Have like uh, my favorite text editor, BB Edit, uh, has a command called Sleep BB Edit, um, and I actually have Command Q mapped to that command instead of Quit. I never quit BB Edit. I always sleep it. And Sleep BB Edit is the thing that tells it take all the current documents that you have open and. Even if they're unsaved, they have unsaved changes. They're untitled documents, empty windows, whatever they are. Just remember all of them and then exit. And then when you launch the program the next time, it, it restores all of that. All the windows exactly where they were in the exact same positions, with right. the exact same contents, with the exact same unsaved changes. And this is, you know, well before Lion or anything, this feature's been there. And I love it. it. It makes my life better. So now what Apple is trying to do 
is get everybody to do that. Um, and they're going to try to provide APIs for it or whatever, whatever way they can make it so that, you know, it becomes, there's more social pressure to do that. Because right now, very few applications do it. BBEdit does it. A couple other ones, Safari even won't do it. Safari has restore windows from previous session, but it doesn't do it automatically. Unlike uh, Chrome does it and Firefox do it automatically if you want them to. Safari, you still have to hit that command to tell it to restore windows. And that always bugs me. So I'm glad to see that. But this is a significant uh, effort from the platform. They're, they're going to change the way all Mac applications work through social pressure and providing an API. Autosave, same thing. Uh, that's their next feature they list. iOS apps do it. There's no explicit save command. People like that. For years, various Mac applications have done it one way or the other. Apple's going to try to move that forward by saying, we're going to give you some way to make it easier for your applications to autosave. To make it so more applications work like that, because right. that's what people like. Uh, the new file vault. I, I feel like it should have been like uh, uh, AT&T or Verizon or whatever whatever company was renamed to become Verizon, uh, where the name file vault now has so much negative connotations and publicity that it would have been better for them to pick a new name for this feature. Um, but it's basically a completely new feature that they're just reusing the brand. Um, they're doing full disk encryption, which we should have talked about as part of the uh, follow-up to a backup thing, but we never yeah. got to. It's I just want to add on, on Twitter... From one source is saying that uh, the 10.7 resume uh, resume also works after a reboot. Yeah, I could talk about that, but then I'd be breaking NDA. <laughs> well, that's what, he that's said. what someone says on Twitter. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. So on on File Vault, instead of just encrypting your home directory or encrypting a portion of your disk or making an encrypted disk image that gets mounted with your home directory and all these sorts of weird things that were compromises that various applications didn't work well with and sometimes Apple's own applications didn't work well with and yeah. time had trouble with and everything, they're just going to do the whole disk. We're going to encrypt your entire disk right. and we're do it in a way that's transparent to applications. Um, so that just to the application, it just looks like a regular disk, but deep, deep down under the covers, everything is encrypted. Uh, and it's nice to see that built in because as part of my job, my I have to use whole disk encryption at work. Now, do you think would it, if I don't know, we never we haven't had this conversation yet, which is one I definitely want to talk about your full disk encryption thing. But do, do you think that it, one of the things that I've seen a lot in companies, especially ones that require something like full disk encryption, they they want to use something that they know, whether it's PGP or something else. It's some vetted application that has certain certifications do you think that uh, companies, especially the kind that would require that, do you think they'd be open-minded and say, sure, we can use Apple's, it's it's as good as we think it is, or do you think it'll take a while for them, for them to be able to adopt that? I'm not talking about, you know, the designer who's sitting in a coffee shop who does, you know, in case their laptop gets stolen or whatever, or the independent IT consultant or whoever. I'm, I'm talking about, like, companies. It's not going to be the vetting so much because I'm sure they're all just all using AES or some other encryption standard that, you know, that people, companies don't make their own encryption standards or they don't if they're smart. They use, you know, industry standard ones that have been proven mathematically over many years, so on and so forth. Um, but what's going to, what's going to hurt Apple in this regard, like this is why perhaps uh, my company wouldn't let me use the full disk encryption. It's because the existing products out there like PGP full disk encryption, which is what I use, are cross-platform. So they use PGP whole disk encryption, and there's a server component to it where you can like revoke keys and get remote access and do stuff or whatever from a centralized server with many different kinds of clients, Mac clients, PC clients. If you use Apple's thing, suddenly your PGP server or whatever can't has no idea what's going on over there because there's no, as far as I know, there's no server component that works across Macs and PCs that, uh, that, that uh, you know, handles the situation and you know the IT departments they love to have the server component they love yeah. to have the ability to remotely access and control so 
I'm, I don't think PG, you know, PGP is going to be out of business by this. I just think for PGP, PGP is a little bit of an enterprise product, and I would imagine people only install it you know, as part of their jobs. This whole disk encryption thing is going to be easy enough, I think, for people to use privately. And since Apple is selling tons and tons of laptops and laptops get lost or stolen, it's, I think it's a good idea to, to make it easy for regular people without IT departments to decide, I want my whole laptop encrypted. Um, and so if it gets stolen or something, I have, I have a little bit of extra protection and maybe they'll have some sort of remote way to revoke the key or uh, involved in it. I think I read that in somewhere in the PR, um, that through mobile me or something, just how you can like locate your stolen, uh, iMac or whatever by its Wi-Fi address, you'll also be able to remotely wipe it the same way you can remotely wipe, uh, iPhones, yep. uh, an enterprise type thing. I can imagine a web page where if your laptop gets stolen, you quickly log into your mobile me Would account. Love that click some button and it revokes all the keys on your, you know, the next time your laptop comes online, it, it, it revokes all the keys on it. And that'll thwart any, you know, amateur, uh, non-hacker, uh, thief who just steals your laptop because right. they're going to turn and plug it in try to go to YouTube and then the whole thing's going to get wiped. Um, I don't, it says that right in the thing and the ability to wipe your Mac instantaneously right from the press release. So I haven't investigated that at all, but Apple, that's what Apple is saying. And, and the final thing they list is that they just throw this in there as the last item. The Mac OS X Lion server is now part of the Mac OS X Lion. It's not a separate product. I don't know what that means. I, it, does it mean, do you have to pay extra for it? Or like you're saying the software comes in the disk and it's free? We don't know anything about pricing. We don't know right, anything about licensing. Right, they haven't announced that. But what, what but, it sounds like they're saying is that, and, and I mean, I, again, from if you go to the, um, if, if, you, if you look at their Lion page, they say Lion server is now part of Mac OS X Lion, it's easy to set up your Mac as a server and take advantage of the many services Lion has to offer. Okay, so reading between the lines, it sounds like they're saying it's easy to set up your Mac as a server. The way they word that, and you have to kind of tease out what they mean here, my guess is that they have discontinued Lion server. Like, it's not a separate product. You don't have to pay anymore because look they they killed the xserve yeah i mean it makes perfect sense in terms of them pulling back from selling dedicated server products right and again you know and this is not an nda thing because we really don't know we have no idea what pricing is going to be like or yeah. anything like that we don't know pricing on on what line is going to be uh but i wouldn't be shocked if they decided to bundle it for free or for some nominal fee. Well, here's here's what it says. Easy setup. Lion server guides you through configuring your Mac as a server. It provides local and remote administration, users in groups, calendaring, mail, blah, 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 all in one place. I mean, they really make it seem like, and, and I've, I've set up Mac OS X server before, and it, it was always been a separate product, a separate thing. It was quite expensive. The cheapest way you could get it was actually to buy a Mac mini, with server running and maybe is that is that going to be an option do you you know do you think will that be an option to to buy it installed that way i think they're going way down in price kind of like they did with aperture where it used to be i forget like 300 dollars or something and then yeah. when aperture appeared in the mac app store it was 80 bucks yeah uh, so mac os 10 server was already cheap because they didn't have a per user a per seat fee sort of it's traditional in server os is to charge for the number of people using the server apple always did unlimited client for like a thousand bucks or something which seems expensive to an individual but to companies if you have a lot of clients that's way cheaper than having to pay per seat so um, l- l- i think they're just going to keep going in that direction and make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper will it be free will it be 50 bucks 80 bucks i don't know but it's not going to be a thousand i guarantee that yeah, that yeah i mean it might it might be 20 bucks more 
Yeah. So here's not. something that I want that it that it says on the page. Profile Manager delivers simple profile-based setup and management for Mac OS X Lion iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch devices. That's interesting, huh? File sharing for iPad delivers wireless file sharing for iPad. Enable web enabling WebDAV in Line Server gives iPad users the ability to access, copy, and share documents on the server from applications such as Keynote, Numbers, and Pages. Yeah, I'm not quite sure where they're going with the server thing. It's clear that they're going away from sort of enterprise server, but yeah, it's more it like starts w- to get into the realm of like what what is a personal server? Is that something that people want or are interested in How, what does that look like because it, really the idea of a personal server is more of a geek concept at this point and if you were to ask an individual what they might do with such a thing or what it even is they wouldn't really know i think mac os 10 server these features that they're now branding as mac os 10 server are in an in-between phase where there's a lot of stuff left over from the days when it was like your mail server for your company and they're trying to move it more towards what could you do in like a small business what, what small makes business sense? yeah even home yeah, and home, it starts to get a little bit weirder because I don't feel like they're even close to that. That's a whole other show topic in, yeah. in terms of like having a server for the iLife suite and stuff like that. They're not there yet. Maybe they'll go in that direction. But clearly, Mac, what was formerly known as the product Mac OS X server needs to redefine itself uh, in terms of the, the new age of Apple that's pulling away from that type of enterprise stuff. Um, maybe it will just wither and die and, and the features that were part of server will just become regular features of the OS. Maybe you'll leave stuff behind. Like, does a family need a wiki server? Uh, in their house maybe they do maybe they don't probably not i don't know. maybe if it's a very big family yeah so they can you know do you know collaboratively do their grocery list uh, right. there instead of on google docs uh, something so that's a product in transition but it's it's it, i think it's just a natural consequence of them pulling back from the, the uh, of selling servers and everything um so on on the whole line thing that list of features all of which i think every single one of those things we had not heard or seen before that's significant and coming out of nowhere at this late stage makes me a little bit panicked for writing my review because I'm like, man, I got to learn about all these things and get up to speed on them before summer comes and this thing is released. Uh, so it looks like Lion is not going to be a wussy little release. It's not. No, it's not. And even, it seems like it's going to be more like 10.5 size. Yeah, uh, or more. I mean, the, it's it's and again, it's visible just from just from these screenshots that have been published on on the web, both by Apple and, and other places. There are there are plenty of user interface changes that are some yeah. of which are not subtle. Um, they didn't even list that. That's the interesting thing on the yeah. on their press release. They said, "Look at all these features." Blah 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 blah. They didn't say, "Oh, and by the way, everything looks crazy." <laughs> yeah, it really look things. At the screenshots. Regular people are going to say, especially longtime Mac users. That's the first thing that jumps out at you. You don't see these features that list in their press release. You look at the screenshots and you're like, you "Say these look really presses? different." Yeah. Um, you know, looking again, I'm on, I'm on the, uh, the Apple page here. You can see the, uh, the maximize, minimize buttons are significantly smaller. Uh, you can, you can see that on most of, most of these screenshots. Um, you can also see that the edges, uh, corners rather of all of the windows are rounded, both tops and bottoms. Yeah. Uh, the scroll bars look different. And another thing that's missing is the little, I don't know what you call it, but the little grabby ridges in the bottom right-hand corner that, that show you where to grab and resize a window. Those are gone. Yeah, the resize. Which is, it, this, is, this is the type of change where it's not just changing how things look. They took features of the OS that people just take for granted, like scroll bars. Yeah. And they're going me- to mess with them. Yep. Right? Like, not, not just the look of the scroll bars, but if you look at them, you know, 
there are some screenshots where you're like, there should be something more to scroll there, but there's no scroll bar visible. And we saw that in the video. In the yeah. video when he was using the Mac App Store and stuff, there was no scroll bar visible in the mm-hmm. Mac App Store unless he was scrolling. And then this weird iOS little scroll bar thing appeared on the side. Right. It's like, and, and, then, and that's the way, it, that's exactly the, what I was going to say is it's so much like iOS is that if you, if you feel like there's content, you just kind of put your thumb on the screen and move yeah. it and, hey, there's the content and, and the scroll bar comes and goes when you need it. And that's what they're doing here. Apple Insider has a big gallery of leaked screenshots, and I think on what page is this on? On uh, page four, they have a, a screenshot of the appearance preference pane. Uh, yeah. It's a good thing when, if you, when you're looking at these screenshots to realize this is the first developer release. And even though Apple doesn't change significant stuff uh, in the course of the developer releases, stuff like what radio buttons appear in a particular uh, you know, preference pane or what options are available, that stuff changes all the time. So yeah. I wouldn't put too much stock in, in what you see here and the arrangement of the controls. Maybe some of these will go away. Some of them will become things that you have to you know, run the defaults command to modify the plist manually for. All sorts of things are in flux. But what they show in the screenshot on the appearance preference pane is there's a new section for, called show scroll bars, which already is, is crazy because... If you're thinking of a Mac, you're like, what do you mean show scroll? Of course you show the scroll. How am I supposed to scroll if you don't show the scroll bars? It's insanity to think since 1984, Windows have had scroll bars on them. And yes, you have to show them. Otherwise, how can I scroll? But now there's an option. And the options are show scroll bars automatically based on input device, when scrolling, or always. Now, always seems like the, you know, well, yeah, I want you to show me the scroll bars always because it's a Mac, right? But when you look at the other ones, when scrolling, you think, well, that must be what they were doing in that video. Right. Demo in October because you only saw the scroll bars when when the guy demoing it was scrolling, and automatically based on input device, you can imagine it's maybe, I mean I I don't know like input device it must be mouse or a trackpad or something and, and it makes a decision between the other two settings based on whether it thinks you're using a mouse or a trackpad. That type of change, that type of you know, sacred cows. It's, it's as if they decided maybe we're not going to have a menu bar at the top of the screen, which from everything I've seen in in, in the Apple's press material is not the case, but. They're just taking stuff that's been the same literally since 1984 and saying, it's on the table. Let's, let's think about what we're going to do about that. Um, and that's scary and crazy. Um, and, <laughs> and, and it will make for an interesting experience. Especially since it's an early phase, you wonder, are they going to like wimp out on some of this stuff? Or are they just going to double down and say, look, if you can't deal with it, you know, just you know, figure it out. I mean, they... They've gone a long way with this OS in terms of the brush metal and then reunifying mm-hmm. the interfacing and doing all sorts of other stuff. This is the boldest move. This appears really to be is. the boldest move in UI since the transition from, from uh, 9 to 10. So my, my nice. take on it is that you're not so happy with it. I've, I saved my opinions to review, man, and it's uh, still early days. You don't know what they're going to... You can't, you can't like download a developer preview or look at these screenshots and get all pissy about, like, oh, I can't believe this default is there. Some defaults that people in the chat room mentioned that I don't want to mention because I think it would be breaking an NDA or whatever, but there's, there's settings. The default settings of a lot of these new uh, options are not to the liking of anyone who's used a Mac before, basically. You know, if, you have, if you have years and years of experience using a Mac, they have settings that are the opposite of what you would expect. And you can get all pissy and say, oh, man, if, if this thing comes out of the box with this setting, well, you just change the setting. Or what if they remove the setting and I can't change it back? I'm going to go nuts. You, know, you just got to chill out. Uh, I, I've heard some Apple people actually asking, saying, if you're a developer and you're using the OS, feel free to file bugs, even on things that just like the defaults are wrong. Right, like, they, like, like you don't like the default or you don't like the... Yeah, yeah. 
file a bug on it that says, uh, you know, I don't mind feature X, but I really wish your default would be A instead of B because it would make me feel better. Um, and I think the Apple developers are asking, or Apple guys are asking for that just because that's how they, that's how they gather feedback. Yeah. They, you don't. If you just whine about it on Twitter, they don't know. You gotta, you gotta file a bug on it and and uh, express your opinion. And who knows how much of that's going to go on between now and summer. Uh, so I don't put too much stock in. Can we can we comment about speed and performance? Is that breaking NDA? I think that would be unless I, I haven't read anything about it. Okay. I, I'm not going to comment based on my use, but I, I would imagine like it, the history of Mac OS X is that the OS has gotten faster on the same hardware with time. And Snow Leopard was all about just tighten the thing up, make it faster, make it better, because there was very few user-visible new features. Um, and you think that, that the trend has to continue. Obviously, hardware gets faster, but usually Mac OS X is actually faster on the same hardware. With a few bumps here and there, like if you were to get you get the uh, 10.5 and you had Time Machine turned on for the first time and you had a slow disk, all of a sudden your disk is going to be tortured. And you're like, man, this feels 10 times slower than, than Tiger did. It's doing a lot more. Um, when it feels slower, if you turn Time Machine off, it's operation should still be faster than, than tiger can, so I, can I comment if i like it or not or is that under nda you can yeah sure go for it i don't think you know you just give vague opinions to, i'll give us i'll give use it for a day right uh not even i, I overall I, here's what i will say I, I really like it and i really like the visual i'm a big visual user interface geek i mean i really care about it and i can say that I'm not talking about things like, you know, scrolling and dots and other things like that. I'm talking about the overall look of the operating system, the overall way that that things look, which again, you can you can see a lot from Apple's and the leak screenshots too. Um I really am a big fan of it. I'm a minimalist and they've definitely gone in that more minimalist direction. Everything is sort of flatter and more gray and uh I'm a big fan of this direction. I'm not I'm not sure that I'm a big fan of of all of the changes that they made. Uh, we'll have to try keep I'll keep trying it, but going you know using that and then going back and looking right here at at my you know at my snow leopard screen on my laptop, I, I it does feel like a step backwards. You couldn't you couldn't say that uh, from obviously from snow leopard to leopard. You you couldn't really say it. You know, but this almost feels like going back to the 10.4 kind of days where, where things are really look different and act different, work different, and like there's little stripes and things on all over everything. Like this is that much of a step. Yeah, anytime you change the look so comprehensively, it yeah. always makes the old one feel weird. The pinstripes is a great example. You know, the pinstripes, no one really noticed that much, especially since it was a callback to the pinstripes from classic macOS. But when they dropped the pinstripes and you used the one without them for a while, it seemed a little bit weird at first. But then you went back to the pinstripe one and you're like, how did I look at this all day? It's just exactly. hideous. Exactly. Anytime exactly. you made a significant change like that, it does that. Uh, I'm going to reserve my opinions for look mostly because I want to save it for the review and also because. Again, at this point, it's like a hodgepodge. Some applications have been updated, some haven't. They're tweaking the things. They're going to change stuff. I also wouldn't put too much stock in the way these controls look. Uh, obviously, the overall look is going to be you know, pretty much like what you said. If you look at the screenshots, you can see more gray, less color, more minimal. Uh, the rounded corners is interesting because if you remember in Snow Leopard, maybe it was in Leopard. Either in Leopard or in Snow Leopard, they rounded the bottom corners of pull-down menus from the menu bar. Right, yeah. And I, and I noted that in one of the reviews, and this is just like an extension of that. Like whoever likes those rounded corners. Uh, oh, and also in, in Snow Leopard, in, in, this, in the stupid QuickTime player that I hate with a passion, they rounded the bottom corners of the video. And now they're doing it on Windows. Now, menus I don't mind because it's just a list of items. 
But Windows, especially movie players, like, why don't I get to see those pixels that are in the corner? What if there's something significant there? Right. Like, you know, if it's, if it's, it's supposed to be a window to show my content, you've just decided that those three pixels on, in each of the bottom corners are not important enough for me to see. So, yeah, just don't, we're not even going to show those. If you draw anything there, we won't see it. Mm. That's, that bothers me just on, on principle. And especially since it's such a subtle rounding. It's such a tiny rounding. So it's probably an option and developers can probably get rid of it or whatever. But it just it bothers me that it shows, it shows a tiny, tiny lack of respect for your content, um, for the content of the application. Mm-hmm. Apple's pretty rounded corners are more important than those six pixels. <laughs> and 99% of the time, maybe they are more important, but it's the principle, not the practical concern that, that, uh, that, that bothers me about this. Well, you remember when all of Apple's screen corners were rounded, of course. Yeah, that was, that was on the screen, but at least the windows themselves, you know, there yeah. wasn't any maximizing. But they've always, they've always liked those rounded corners. They do. Rounded corners, like, they're perfect for buttons. They're great for menus, for Windows, like, system preferences, where you, you it's a preference pane that's just a UI, but like a movie player. Well, yeah, I where, agree, I uh, agree with you. The content area, the, uh, the other thing, I, I'll give a tiny rant on, on, the, on the, the QuickTime player, that they put that big honking controls floating over the movie. That's so God horrible. forbid you want to, like, scrub through the movie. You have to use the controller to scrub through the movie unless you can try to figure out what the keyboard commands are and stuff like that. But you can't see half the movie. So say you're scrubbing through trying to look for a subtitle on a scene. The whole controller is blocking. You can, so move, you can move the, the control. control out of the yeah. way. And you just, it's like kind of shove the stupid, I wish I could yank it out of the window and say, put the controller not overlapping the content and then let me move it. So yeah. I still use uh, the QuickTime Player 7, which is kind of ugly and dated. But at least it doesn't, at least it gives a perfect rectangle for the yeah, movie. I use the same, for the same reason. I use that too. Got, I love that thing. The, you know. I bet I, I I have no knowledge of this, but I bet you that thing's going to be gone from. Yeah, I just hope it still launches. I'll, I'll keep it around because that's what I did <laughs> originally with uh with Snow Leopard and Leopard or whatever version they. I think Snow Leopard is the one they gave the bad video player. I had the old version around, but eventually Apple decided to ship it and keep it working. Yeah, I was looking after after uh, playing around with Lion. I was looking to see if there were any current apps that Apple makes that have the rounded corners on Snow Leopard. Just looking around and saying, you know, are there any apps out there that exist right now with rounded corners? And there's only, there's only, I think, a couple. Uh, iTunes is one of them. And another is iChat contact window. Both have rounded bottom corners. Most apps have rounded upper corners. But So, so one other thing I wanted to, to point out here, I, and I don't know if we can talk about this. Uh, you have to tell me. Can we talk about how... Lion, the Lion developer preview is obtained and installed. Can we discuss that? Yeah, because I've read it all over websites. Okay. Every website that has discussed this developer preview has said that you know developers download it through the Mac App it's Store. Through the Mac App Store. So as you, you log into your developer account and it gives you a redemption code and then you redeem this code in the Mac App Store the same way you would redeem any code. And, and it, it downloads it and, uh, and then gives you an installer and you install it. Uh, right there. And that's kind of the, I mean, that's really the first time that they've done something like this. In the past, it was always a, you know, a URL that you would be given from within the Mac developer webpage. And it would, you know, do all its weird redirects and give you a whole, you know, some strange URLs. And that was all there to prevent people from passing that URL around to other people and, and you know, downloading it as a file. It, you know, it, it it definitely makes it easier, I guess, to to distri- illegally distribute. 
Well, the thing about the the files is that they, they would do that redirects, and for a while they were doing HTTP basic auth on the URLs, mm-hmm. and other times they were just using obscure Akamai URLs that were time-limited and hopefully not guessable and would expire. Um, but those URLs at various times have been either FTP or HTTP, both of which are resumable protocols, and yeah. both of which you can run from within your web browser, assuming you're all authed up. But when there was no auth, you could just wget them or something. You mm-hmm. got the URL, you could copy it out of the, the, you know, look at where the last place it sent you was, and just wget that sucker, or whatever you want to do from the command line, because there was no auth. Uh, when you do it from Safari, at the very least, Safari would resume if it died halfway through, as long as you re-authed against the URL. There was all sorts of things you could do as someone who's computer savvy and a developer or whatever to make sure that you had a successful download. And they were very fast because their stuff was on content distribution networks and everything. And uh, the complaints I've seen on Twitter and online from people trying to do this through the Mac App Store is that you don't have those tools. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes in the Mac App Store unless you're doing network traces and everything. And a lot of people got stuck. They would try to download it through the Mac App Store and it would stop halfway through due to some obscure error. And they couldn't resume it. And you only get one redemption code. You can't re-enter the redemption code. All you can do is relaunch that Mac App Store app and futilely click this button. It would say, oh, it's ready to install. No, it's not. You've only got half the file. Or it would say... You know, uh, downloading, but it's not actually downloading anymore. Right. What happened was, to me? Uh, I I got I got a message that said the disk was full, which uh, which it wasn't. Um, but uh, eventually, I just I I was able to have it re-download and reinstall, uh, and it did, and and it gave the app. It finally did work. So it, it's an interesting, you know, an interesting new technique, an interesting new way to to do it, but. Uh, it's not shocking either because this is a brand Mac App Store is brand new. It's only been out for you know a little while now, so it's not surprising that there are bugs in the Mac App Store app causing this. It's just frustrating for developers uh, to have to work through those bugs. Yeah, uh, presumably eventually it will be all worked out, and you know they'll want to do some new way to download stuff. And we'll say, oh, can't you just do it through the Mac App Store? That was so reliable and it worked great. Now you're bringing this new thing. <laughs> I, I, I joke. And by uh, the way, the installer is still a, a 3.6 gig file in my applications folder. Yeah. Yeah, so like, I don't, you know, I don't, I, don't, I guess not, they can be updated. It's bigger than know. Angry Birds. <laughs> a little bit. So it's a little bit, asking a lot of the Mac apps. All right, we, be, we better wrap this up. It's been 90 minutes. Yeah. So uh, we, will, we will be back next week. Hopefully you will recover quickly from your, your cold, your sore throat. Couldn't yeah. tell. You, you sounded uh, decent. I can tell. It's hurting. All right. Well, let's not push it uh, any further. All right. So we will we'll wrap this up. Thanks to typekit.com. Please go there, support the show, and uh, download, uh, you know, get signed up and get your fonts, get your, make your website look better. Not you, John. I meant the listeners. Your website looks fine. And that's it. So we'll be back next week at noon on Friday for more uh, Hypercritical, right? What else is there? That's it. Have a good week. That's it.